0: Welcome to the Horror Babel Originals podcast. The Man Who Saw the Light Over Winter Hill by Ian Gordon. 9. Monochrome Valley That's it, I thought. I'm out. I can't explain it. I'll never be able to explain it. But stepping through that portal was akin to an embrace by the velvety void itself. Transfer is the word I'll use. I was transferred from one point to another, and that new point, as far as I could tell, was the bleak yet familiar plain of Winter Hill, under a blanket of pristine snow. Where had I been? Was that facility through which I'd wandered really beneath my feet, or somewhere else, somewhere beyond my comprehension? I studied my surroundings minutely. I was standing on the service road, about halfway between the mast and crooked edge hill. I'd never seen such a perfectly grayscale landscape. The tubular mast and the snowscape were a bright polar white, whereas the road, swept clear of the white stuff by persons unknown, and the cloudy skies above were of a deep, dark grey, like torched tree bark. Even the aircraft warning lights affixed to the mast, previously red, now shone a soft, silvery light. It was so silent and still that I was afraid to move. Afraid to disturb what to me felt like the most sacred solitude. I'm not a religious man by any means, but that's the only way I can describe it. I was moved by that scene, abnormal, though it was. But it wasn't right. Wasn't right at all. I took off southward, keen to return to the safety of home. As I went, I made curious observations that bothered me. The two lads as I passed them seemed closer to the road than normal, or perhaps they were just a little larger. The service road itself seemed narrower, and I could have sworn it was less precipitous, descending at a much gentler gradient than I was familiar with. I looked out across the expansive vista to the south, saw the flickering lights of many towns and villages, but these were less numerous than they should have been. What had happened to the mighty glow of Liverpool? True, too, that I seemed to reach the edge of Narrow Valley in record time. And though I couldn't put my finger on anything in particular, it seemed as though certain footpaths were that much tighter and certain streets that much shorter, like the distance between the village and Winter Hill had been truncated somehow. As I entered the village proper, I was disturbed by the monochromatic streets, cars, and houses. Had the world been inexplicably rendered in black and white, or had something happened to my vision? My muscles ached as I reached Chapel Lane, desperate now for those home comforts. I passed Justin's house next door, and saw Jolly in the window. He too appeared to be made up of just one colour, but the grey boy didn't move. I didn't see his tail wag as it usually did when I passed by. I saw no sign of the constable's patrol car, nor did I see, and for this I was thankful, that grim vento. I limped up the path, quite exhausted by now, and fumbled for the house keys. Damn, I wasn't carrying them. Must have dropped them, I thought. Lost them during whatever had happened to me at Winter Hill. But then I looked at the door more closely and saw that the keyhole was missing, like there had never been one in the first place. I tried the handle, and lo and behold, it was open. I scratched my head in confusion. I mean, I literally scratched my head, gawping at the grey door that should have been green, completely baffled by the entire situation. Should I check on Justin, I thought. How about Amiri at number six, or Mr. Nash at number two? I tried all three, but only the latter came to the door, another grey door that should have been red. Nash is an elderly gent, a retired landscape gardener, whose yard, small though it might be, is a sight to behold in spring. He's sprightly for a man in his eighties, always greets you with a toothy smile, and if he's not under the weather, invites you in for a cup of tea at the drop of a hat. But that night, that... "'Horrible, horrible night. "'I shuddered when I caught sight of him at the door. "'And I didn't know why at first. "'It It—it was just old Nash, grey-haired and pot-bellied. "'But the more I looked at him, "'the more I saw what was causing me trouble. "'It wasn't only his hair that was grey. "'It was his face, terribly ashen, "'like that of a mummified corpse. "'It was like an automaton stood there, "'awaiting instructions.' I was about to open my mouth to speak, when the old man opened his in that toothy smile I mentioned, revealing pearly white teeth, perfect pearly white teeth, not the crumbling gnashes that usually dwelt there. And then he went to speak, but no words came out, just a low, gurgling exhalation, like the death rattle of a crucified vampire. And then, still smiling, Nash just closed the door. Transaction complete! I turned to leave and saw another set of familiar faces Franklin Jones and Cody Taylor, a pair of American students living temporarily with Mr. Wilbur at number 13. Each of them wore a grey mask, it seemed, their expressions devoid of humanity, strolling rather awkwardly in the direction of the substation at the bottom of Chapel Lane where I saw what appeared to be Mr. Wilbur's cat sitting on top of the fence bordering the structure. But I couldn't be sure it was him, because Tarbox, despite the name, was a ginger tabby, not a smoky Persian. Nope, I'd had enough of being out and about. I hobbled back to number seven and pushed the grey door open. I shuffled inside and bolted the door behind me. At least I had some means of locking up. But as I went around the house, navigating first the downstairs rooms, then the upstairs, I quickly realised that the grey place wasn't my home. Let's put aside the fact that everything within, from the furniture in the living room to the crockery in the kitchen, was black and white, and focus on the fact that, like the world outside, the house was smaller than it was supposed to be, lacking in the personal possessions that made it mine.' The house was an impression of my home, just as the world outside was an impression, an incomplete impression at that. I tried to think about it, tried to focus on the problem at hand, but I was just too bloody tired. I'd never felt so wiped out in all my life. I just needed to lie down and sleep for ten or eleven hours. I'd think about the weirdness later. I'd work it all out Much later, I toppled onto the bed in the guest bedroom, a bed that was strangely firm, and of course grey, and it didn't take long for me to drop off, knackered as I was, but my drifting mind was plagued by memories of recent events, the phone box and the calls, the police and the arrest, the various guises of my strange shadow. A thought lingered on my mind prior to oblivion— A thought concerning my double. Where the hell was he, anyway?'